Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Mark and Sarah talk about songs. Talk about songs. Talk about songs. For the 188th time, we are talking about them songs, y'all. This is Mark Blankenship, co-host of Mark and Sarah Talk About Songs. And with me, as ever, is Sarah D. Bunting, other co-host of Mark and Sarah Talk About Songs. Hello, Sarah. Hello. And I am pleased to report, listeners, that this is an episode that came from Sarah's fevered imagination. Uh, Sarah, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you've brought to the table today? I have brought... Three iterations of Always on My Mind. I think probably the most famous um, iteration is Elvis Presley's, but is it the best? We will determine that today, and our conclusion will, as always, in Mastaz Proceedings, have the force of black letter law. Like, there's honestly, once this episode is completed, there is no more debate ever to be had. It's true. It's just the law. If uh, Willie Nelson's version does not prevail, it uh, they will take down the statue of him in Austin, which yeah. I have walked past. Like for whatever reason, every time I am there, I wind up w- walking past that statue. <laughs> possibly because there's a lot of um, lady clothing retail stores around there, and <laughs> Tara and I are always down there. As a result. <laughs> Honey, we just need us a new set of bandanas to tie up our hippie braids. Go to a Willie Nelson statue and find you one. Handcrafted uh, sterling silver wire earrings in the shape of Texas. Who doesn't need (laughs) those? Amen. You know, it's so interesting that you mentioned that to you, Elvis's version is the most famous because before you pulled together the request for this episode, I didn't know that Elvis Presley had a version of this song. Really? Yeah, I knew... To my mind, growing up, Willie Nelson's version was the one that I always heard. and huh, Well, didn't, that makes sense. Didn't really know that the – like I wasn't aware of the Pet Shop Boys version in the 80s, but then later became very aware of the Pet Shop Boys version. Sure. But honestly didn't even know until a few weeks ago that Elvis's existed. But I think that speaks to the fact that the song Always On My Mind is without a doubt a contemporary standard. I think that's true. Um, I think that we should hear a clip of the Elvis version um, before we do any more conversing Yes, about the song as a song, because I think that there are um, fundamental, like flawed in their inception interpretation problems with at least one of these versions. And Ooh. I think it's because of the song and not the interpreter. So Ooh. we'll um, we'll be starting out on that journey with a clip from Elvis's version. Fantastic. If I made you feel I'm second best Girl, I'm so sorry I was blind You were always on my mind Satisfied. 
Um, just a few notes on my um, my relationship with Elvis as a cultural figure, to wit. Um, I don't know that much about his music, and I'm not that dug in on his music. I could probably tell you more about his final years and his death than any other non-Tennessean. I don't know um, why this is a thing with Sarah, me. Sarah, I'm offended that you would suggest that Elvis has actually died, <laughs> and I have to leave this podcast immediately. <laughs> well, we had a good run. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. Um, <laughs> okay, so uh, my feeling generally, like without getting into the whatever died on the shit or parts of it, what what led everyone to that point with him face down in the shag is that he, the great tragedy of Elvis is that after he got out of the army, I think he never really tried again. Mm. Um, he was content to do the shitty movies. He was content to kind of think about doing a, you know, like classic standards album. And then the Jordan airs, did most of the heavy lifting as they're doing here. Like you, once you know how little um, agency Elvis was willing to take in, you know, starting in like 1959, you, you hear it all over the place and you do hear it here. And yet he has such a beautiful instrument. And I listened to this on, um, like via YouTube. And it was this like, um, slideshow video of him and Priscilla. And if you know anything about the exact same video. Okay. So, and if you know anything about that relationship, it's like this, this whole thing is like really pathological. And I, you know, he was a, he was a pedophile and I'm uncomfortable, but at the same time, it's like, uh, if he had tried even a little bit and PS in the sixties, I would have knocked down a bunch of people to make out with that motherfucker. Oh, he yeah. was so hot. I mean, Elvis at his hottest. Yeah. No wonder they had to take the camera off those hips on the Ed Sullivan show. Because, yeah. Like everybody's pants came off. Mama's daddy's cousins. Like if you had dressed up your pot bellied pig in a cute little set of trousers and taken pictures, the pig would have taken his trousers off. Like there's no, no chance that anybody is not turned on. Yeah, it's true. With all of that said, this is a just um, lugubrious, treacly, it's like cheese dipped in caro syrup. Um, <laughs> I, don't, I don't care for it. Like, I'm not, it's not Rod Stewart levels of off-putting, but j- just like all the baggage that comes with it because of Elvis himself um, this is my least favorite of the three, just because like, it, I don't know, like, what if he had been really trying? What if he had really, this was not somebody who had no musicianship. What if he had actually gotten off Delauded for five minutes and given some thought to the arrangement? I, I don't know. It just, it makes me sad. And it's so, it's like a, you know, I've said this about other songs, but it's like a Thomas Keene painting got stuck in his throat i just yeah it's not it's not for me what did you think of this one i think you're right on and 
your comments have opened up for me two channels of thought. Uh, won't you join me as I click the remote control around uh, as we vary between these two channels? I will. Um, first, I'd like to talk a little bit about Always on My Mind just as a song. Please. It was uh, not even originally recorded by Elvis. In fact, by the time Elvis got to it, there were already versions of the song that had been released by artists like B.J. Thomas, Brenda Lee. There had been quite a few people who had tackled this song because in the early 70s, which is when Elvis's version was released in 1972, you were still at the tail end of that moment when a popular song would be recorded by 14 people simultaneously. <laughs> and there was no right. sense... There was no sense that just because so-and-so had done it, it was now theirs the way that there is now. And sometimes there would be like four charting versions of a single on the chart at once. So Always On My Mind is one of the last songs that entered the bloodstream of the popular culture in that way. And one of the things that I think makes the song so appealing to people, and I'm about to come back around to Elvis's uh, late career laziness with this, the song is not that rangy. And yet there is a lot of sadness in the lyrics and in the melodic construction. It's Mm -hmm. got a hushed grief about it. And Mm -hmm. that means that if you need to close out that set at the end of the night and you shredded your vocals on your big song like five hours or five songs ago, you can still convey a lot of emotion without pushing yourself very hard. Is this the one Elvis always closed his sets with? I don't. I'm sorry to say I don't know. But if he did, I wouldn't have been surprised because the song doesn't ask much of the performer in terms of vocal gymnastics. That's a good point. If the singer can still, like Elvis could, even when he was half-drugged, convey emotion because of the raw gift, then the song is going to work out. And I feel like that also makes the song very easy to sing along to in the truck, in the bar, at karaoke, because we don't as audiences need to be gifted vocalists or incredibly gifted vocalists to sing along. And I think that there's that magical thing that happens in songs like this, where they're simple enough to feel accessible to me, but they're rich enough in feeling to let a truly gifted singer find something to say. And, uh, I think that what you said about Elvis is so correct that even when he was not trying anymore, when it was mostly just three fried peanut butter and banana sandwiches, two pixie sticks and a joint, and then he would get out on stage, he could still make this work. And thinking about this song, which, by the way, um, on the pop charts, it was released as the B-side to um, the song Separate Ways, which reached number 20. And then on the country charts, because this is how it is, it is sometimes, Separate Ways and uh, Always on My Mind were released as a double A-side. So this song actually charted on the country chart at number 16. So huh. it's like it is a top 20 country hit and an uncharted but classic, quote-unquote, Hot 100 hit. The charts. Hey! Anyway, yeah. listening to this got me in the mind of an older Elvis song called Surrender. I don't know if you Uh know that song. It was number one for a couple of weeks in 61. That is a song where I didn't, because like you, I don't really know that much about Elvis other than the fact that you can't live in the culture and not have absorbed some of his music. Yes. Um, He is our secular saint. Exactly. I don't, I have, I have a layman's knowledge of Elvis, but I don't have a deep knowledge. And so when I heard the song Surrender, I was shocked at how much vocal charisma he has and how much he's willing to do to sell the emotion of the song Surrender. And it's like, 
he has energy. He seems like really awake. <laughs> it's just like there's yeah. like and, and I I hearing what happened 11 years later, I think comes right to your point. He is now relying on the Jordanaires and those sappy ass strings and that sort of oompa oompa rhythm underneath and it has a <laughs> it has a lounge lizard feel. But it's just like the most gifted lounge lizard of all time. So I agree with you. This is the least successful. And I think it's really interesting. I'm going to spoil it now. We asked our patrons to vote on the three songs, the three versions of this song. Um, Elvis Presley got 16% of the vote from our patrons. And Willie Nelson and the Pet Shop Boys perfectly split at the rest of the vote at 42% each. So there you go. Um, I mean, yeah, it's just... It's just a pity. It's a sorrow and yes. a pity. Like Elvis in his entirety is a sorrow and a pity. But like, I don't know, the his interpretation of these lyrics as um, almost like kicking the can of his responsibility in this relationship down the road. Yeah. Um, has Has a weight to it, given his circumstances, that is like, but it's um, it's almost it makes him like a dubious hero singer Ooh, in this yeah, case, yeah. kind of. You know, you know, there's something now that you put it that way. In terms of abdicating responsibility, he's singing it with such uh, laconic energy that it's almost like he doesn't even believe it himself. You could almost hear it. He's like, "You were always on my mind," in as much as I could think of anything. Cause I was too drunk. Like, yeah, yeah. It, oof. the deeper you dig into this performance, the, the, the darker it gets. Well, and I, th- I think that's the song. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, I just think that's the song and I, I will talk a little bit about how the song sometimes works against itself and hangs up the interpreter in, in its own undercarriage in that way. Undercarriage. When we, uh, yeah, that it just sort of is like, well, I, you know, I didn't die getting hit by the train, but I'm stuck underneath it. Right. I don't, that's a little too dark for what we're talking about. So should we lighten the mood with a playlist? Yes. So listeners, you may hear us talk about our Patreon page from time to time, meaning I guess a lot, but (laughs) one of the things that happens if you become a patron at the Madonna level is that you get to request a playlist that we will then discuss on the show. And we have a patron named George who recently joined us at the Madonna level. And he asked us if we would be willing to create a playlist that he titled feeling like a dancing queen while working from home. And uh, George wrote us and said, recently with all that is going on, I have been working from home a lot in between and in between all the meetings and projects, my way of keeping my sanity is taking dance breaks where I put on some dance jams that are high energy and make me feel like a boss. Yes. Yes. Boss. I agree. My personal favorite at the moment has been You Got the Look from Prince, which also features Sheena Easton, which I got into because of Pose, the show on FX. So a playlist that has those kinds of jams would be awesome. And I feel like Sarah, in requesting this, George basically said, I see into your souls, Mark and Sarah. (laughs) Uh, This was really fun (laughs) to prepare. I feel like we should donate to George at the George level because this was a delight to do. (laughs) Um, You sent me a message. I concurred where you were like, 
I'm having trouble finishing this playlist because I just keep bugging out to all of the songs. Yes, that might be on I do. It. <laughs> Ah, well, Sarah, so feeling like a dancing queen if I'm working from while working from home, what is your first entry on this playlist? Um, my first entry is from Usher featuring yes. Pitbull. Um, <laughs> if you want to feel like you're at the club, this is the song. It says so right in the title. Um, Pitbull's portion of this um, song is kind of bullshit. You can just skip over it. But uh, <laughs> I think... I feel like this is such a like chair dancer and I love it. And the vocal on this is so sexy. So let's hear a clip. What was the name of the song? Uh, DJ got us fallen in love again. Oh, he sure does. With dancing. Here's a clip. Hands up. When the music drops, we both put our hands up. Put your hands on my body. Swear seen you before i think i remember those eyes 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 i think there's a little auto tune happening there i don't care my <laughs> panties just hit the floor and walked down the hallway where they are like literally posing right now bye panties talk to you later this, I mean, this is perfectly like you're halfway down your second drink. You you don't really dance. Usually you're a little self-conscious about it. And then a track like this track or one like it comes on and you're just like in the middle of the sea of bodies doing the Elaine Bennis and not giving a shit about anything. And then some guy who's really a little too young for you is like, hey, and you're like, I know it's just because I have big boobs, but who cares? <laughs> Everyone's happy. Every, everyone is in a sensory environment that they enjoy. Um, And, you know, it's no surprise that pop Svengali Max Martin wrote this song. Because <laughs> it's got that, like, delicious, perfect hook. Because yes. you're right. I have There have been a couple of times when I have just had the radio on and this song has come on. And I've been like, well, whatever the fuck else I was doing is on pause for the next three minutes. Yep. Put it down. Um, and then at the end of the track, he's like, uh, thank you, DJ. <laughs> and it's, I mean, it's hot. Sarah, it's good. This is the, a confident song. I love it. We are the exact same fucking person because I was just about to reference that exact moment. It is the perfect button on the song. Where yes. Us, where Usher, he's saying, thank you, DJ, but he says it in a way that makes it clear that what he means is, you're welcome. Yes. <laughs> you're welcome, DJ. Also, everyone else. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the you know, fuckableist. Ciao. <laughs> Now, it's so interesting, not interesting, perhaps it's unavoidable, that you should mention fucking. And then, of course, that makes me think about the song on my list that is most equivalent to wanting to get busy. This is a song by a British uh, singer named Paloma Faith. She has never really had a huge hit in America, but oh my God, she's got this like raspy, awesome voice. She's got excellent taste in terms of the songs that she records. And this is a song called Mouth to Mouth that is about a couple that have been together for a long time, but they're still really, really into each other. And so they decide that one of the ways that they're going to celebrate how much they like being together is spending the night out tonight like they've met for the first time. And so the whole premise of the song is um, we're going to meet like we're going to leave the house like the pedia colada song but not fucked up exactly like but exactly we're like we communicate well and so as you'll hear in the, <laughs> as, as you'll hear in the little clip 
she's talking about, I'm going to write your number on my hand and sweat it off when we dance. And then uh, here's just, the, I'll let the clip speak for itself after that point. Okay. Oh, shit. Will do. I love that retro soul sound. I never heard yes. that before. That is, and the way that she sings resuscitating, that I, I don't know what it is about the, 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 the staccato feel of that word, but yeah, you're, that retro soul disco sweaty boa sound. I just, this, yes. this song is a booty popper and I love it so much. It sure is. Uh, so what's next for you? Um, what is next for me? Uh, Whip It by Daz, the Daz Band. Yes! I got a two-disc set called Motown 40 years ago, and the whole thing is just such a keeper. The first disc is like Supremes and Smokey Robinson and stuff like that. And then the second disc is Daz Band and, um, like later Stevie Wonder. Uh, if it still exists... Listeners, get you some. It's really good. And uh, here is Whip It, which I cannot, uh, not only can I not, not dance to it, but there have to be like whipping motions. It's embarrassing. I regret nothing. Here's a clip. That's Mr. Bobby Harris uh, testifying. And yeah, that song is like, it feels like such a novelty song, but it, I mean, it really is like, it does exactly what it sets out to do so perfectly and efficiently and with such confident joy. So Daz Band. I want to say that one of the reasons that this song is perfect is that it's, the song's full name is Let It Whip, Whip It. <laughs> Like, yeah. let it whip, parentheses, whip it. Like, <laughs> yes, because the, you need to let me know in multiple ways what to do with it. <laughs> yeah. Like, you can whip it, and then you, if it is whipping itself, you need to just let that process occur. Okay. <laughs> I choose to believe it's no accident that both of the songs you've selected so far peaked at number five on the Hot 100. I'm just hmm. letting you know. Huh. Um, <laughs> I don't know. There it is. There really are no accidents. It's true. Thank you. Thank you, DJ. Um, the next song that I have selected is by a group called Glass Animals, and it is currently uh, rising up the alternative rock charts. But, you know, what is rock anymore? But this is a song that I have been using when I do my in-the-living-room quarantine dance parties for myself because uh -huh. the beat on this song is just so fucking stanky. So this is a song, again, it's called Your Love, and then in parentheses, Deja Vu by Glass Animals. <laughs> Deja vu, parentheses, whip it. Whip it. Here's a clip. <laughs> I can feel your love, your temporary touch. It's a hit and run. You go back there when you're done. Don't you want someone? Because I can feel. 
there's some Britney on that. Yeah. Stank. I, that little whistle sound is exactly the sound of Britney Spears with some sort of Python wrapped around her body. <laughs> I mean, Flute absolutely. Sound, I should say. Flute sound. Yeah. Wearing like the post-apocalyptic rayon bikini. <laughs> <laughs> and I love that this is a hit on the alternative rock chart because you're right. It's like basically toxic, but you know what? Yeah. You know what chart where you need to boo boo. I'm going to just dance my ass off no matter what. Yeah, it's true. Excellent um, pick. Thank you. And uh, I have to say, you have inspired me to re-listen to that Daz Band song in full. It's really been too long. And it makes me think of roller skating. And then when you take your roller skates off and your feet feel like they don't weigh anything anymore because they've yes. suddenly got... That, that I feel like is what you... That's how my feet feel when I dance to the Glass Animal song. It's like my feet are made of, are made of helium. Kick them. So yeah. perfect sequencing as well. Um, what is your final playlist selection? Um, all right. I'm going to wrap this up with what used to be my nephew's favorite song. I'm sure it's not anymore, but when he was little, he's almost 11, but when he was like little, like three or four, just the opening chords of this, he would just like bug out like his face, his smile would be so big. And then he would just be sprunging around on the couch. And that joy that I feel hearing this song has uh, never left me, and I hope that he continues to hold on to some part of it. Um, Because we may be in quarantine until September, here's Earth, Wind, and Fire. I mean, horns, that wonderful, like, uh, from Maurice White, rest in power, my friend. Um, this song, I don't know. It's, it's like, I think it's a perfect song. I, I, I don't understand how one can be in a better mood than when this song is playing. Yeah. And I also want to note that this song was written, uh, co-written by the recently departed, um, Allie Willis, and uh-huh. she also co-wrote the Friends theme song. Oh, and okay. She, and she co-wrote, um, I believe, I'm just checking this right now. She, I can't remember now exactly. She wrote other hit songs, but the, the, she wrote several hit songs for Earth, Wind, and Fire, and she wrote the Friends theme song. So Allie Willis, well done. Yeah. And um, I felt like, for me, I wanted to end my selections with a slightly different vibe. I wanted to go to a garage rock uh, doing a sort of breakfast club dance place, uh, you know, like Emilio Estevez on, on top of the library railing. <laughs> With his sweatshirt strings? Exactly okay. right. So this is a song called A Little More by a fantastic rock and roller named Eric Hutchinson. And he's one of the greatest male rock vocalists of the last 20 years. And he's just not very well known, but that doesn't change the fact that he's awesome. So here is a song that puts me in a great fucking mood all the time. A little more by Eric Hutchinson.
This is like if Hansen and Weezer had a kid. That is the best way of describing his entire oeuvre. Holy shit. In a 20-second clip, you got to the core of it. <laughs> well, then I'm just going to go download his entire oeuvre right now because, like, y- you know what Weezer needs is more Hansen. Like, seriously, <laughs> they do. So that exists already. I don't have to, like, wait for the universe to provide it. It just did. Let me tell you, the album that this song is on... Um, Oh, God, of course, I can't remember now what it's called. Feels like this, I think, but that might be his first album. Anyway, Eric Hutchinson's album with the song a little more on it is just a must have. So there's a there's a song on it called Goodnight, Goodbye. There's a song on it called Joni. You've got to hear it. I think you would all love it. Sarah, I really think you would love it. I am going to go download it now. I will also mention, first of all, thank you for bringing this to my attention. But second of all, there were several songs that you proposed for discussion on Mastass episodes that were definitely in the running for this, including Mr. Todd Recall. I fucking oh, love I Low. Mean, it's so good. I I I go back to the low to the low well quite frequently because that oh beat God, never me too. told. I mean, is you a good witch? Oh, oh just, just a, a bad, bad bitch. bitch. Um. By the way, Pure Fiction is the name of the Eric Hutchinson album that this song is on. Um, thank you. And he is both a good witch and a bad bitch. <laughs> and uh, thank you very much, George, for this excellent selection. And Sarah, I don't know about you, but now I feel like it's time to be sad again. I think it is time to be sad again. Um, th- without any ado, I guess we can hear a clip of Willie Nelson's National Treasure Willie Nelson's take on Always On My Mind. Little things I should have said and done I just never took the time But you were always on my mind You were always on my mind Tell Okay. Um, Mark, if you'll permit me. I will. I don't even know what you're going to say, but I already permit it. Uh, (laughs) Well, we'll see. Um, This should be the the truest version of it. Mm. Like the the closest to the sadness without the schmaltz. And that is what I was expecting to, that's how I was expecting to receive it when I sat down to prepare this episode. I am not crazy about it. I I like it better than Elvis's, but not much. I I don't care for the piano. I don't care for the backing vocal. I think that I I feel like I can feel Willie Nelson not caring for the piano or the backing vocal. I didn't clip the guitar solo, but I think that part of it gets the closest to the heart of the story, which is one of regret but also of begging for a second chance that you think is probably not coming. And here is where we uh, arrive at my probably not that grand, grand unifying theory of always on my mind, i.e. to wit and viz. (laughs) There is a central (laughs) construction paradox of this song, uh, namely that there are these two emotional arcs in play that I mentioned. There's the apology and the regret, which is sincere, 
but then there is a the um, asking for another chance that is that is coming from a place of some entitlement lyrically. So those two arcs work somewhat against each other musically and tonally in the song because there isn't necessarily a shift between the two um like gears of the narration in the music Mm. so unless you take a certain approach to it which we will be hearing in a moment you'll get hung up in the conflict of the song that is not served orally by the by the melody or by mm. the melody's um whatever narration that's my theory i th- okay the, so okay i think that you're onto something let me just say this back to you to make sure that i'm understanding the theory correctly in the verses he's like i acknowledge how shitty i am but in yeah. the chorus he's like but because I was always thinking of you, you now need to tell me that your sweet love never died. Well, like, and also kind of like, tell me you don't miss this seven inches a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> and, you know, there is a certain sort of um, that's another ploy of the like, desperate. We're, we're not there yet, guy. But that is <laughs> more apologizing. A, but that is another ploy of the desperate that you move from apologizing to then sort of forcefully reminding the person what they're missing like right. that tracks as part of the same person's emotional journey, but it's such a good point that the song may be better served if it is performed in a way that lets us hear the difference between those two. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Or that doesn't. Yeah. Like the problem is the melody doesn't exp- like, I think that manipulation is um, credible. Like, I don't think the two tracks of this, expression of regret don't go together like lyrically that tracks with a real world experience i just think that if you take it on as this like sad you know neck of your t-shirt soaked with tears tone only then it doesn't quite work well here's what i will say i if if the last hit version of this song had been by Willie Nelson. And all we knew was his straightforward sadness. I would think he has found the most complex evocation of this song's emotional palette because the song is as performed by Willie Nelson. I think so much more effective than it is as performed by Elvis Presley. I agree. Um, I think he also does a good job. Sorry. I just want to get this thought out while it's still here. I think he does a pretty good job, like pulling the second arc which is the come on, yeah, part of it. It's more towards like it, it's more of a question and less of a like manipulative statement. Yes, and I think it helps that Willie Nelson's voice is just never going to be an adorned voice. Yes, he's just got to tell you how it is, and he only has a simple, straightforward way of doing that. So his magic as a singer or songwriter is his ability to just say things in a blunt, almost unbearably raw way because it's what he's got and yeah. uh, on on facebook we had some commenters who were like this is a dirty hippie and all he ever did that was good was write crazy for patsy klein which fair yeah um, where did that dude come from 
<laughs> I don't know, but I'm just like, you know what? I you are you I I grant you and bless you in your right to feel that Willie Nelson is a dirty hippie. I know, but he I, posted it a couple of times. Then yeah. one of our other listeners was like, "Yeah, we got it." <laughs> but um, but I think that Willie Nelson is um pretty great. And uh, oh no, am, so do I. I oh, just yeah, was course. like, I I remembered this as better in my mind, and when I was trying to figure out like, why don't I like this more? Why yeah. don't I consider this the definitive one? It was like, oh, this well, is not an interpretation issue. This is a construction issue. So, and uh, but I think that you're so right. And I think again, if there had never been another hit version of this song, we probably wouldn't. I, I, it's hard for to rewrite history, but I feel like we might not <laughs> even be thinking about the song this way because Willie Nelson's version is very, very good. Willie Nelson is a wonderfully emotive uh, performer. Uh, and, you know, the impact of this song can't be denied. It was a crossover hit on the Hot 100 where it reached number five. It was a number one hit on the country charts. It was so popular as a country song, Sarah, that on two separate years, 82 and 83, it won Song of the Year at the Country Music Association Awards. Two years in a row, they were like, well, like in 83, they thought, well, you know what? It's still the best song of the year. I think they've since changed the rules so that you can't do that anymore, but that tells you how dominant the song was. But, oh, and also uh, an important fact, this song was produced by a man named Chips Moman. <laughs> oh, yeah. Old Chipsy. Old Chips. And um, I also did want to point out that one of the writers of the song, uh, Wayne Carson, co-wrote the song The Letter by the Box Tops. My oh, baby, okay. she wrote me a letter. So he's clearly a songwriter who understands straightforward, no-nonsense emotion. Now, all of that being said, Sarah, I have clearly been indicating that there is another version of the song. We've already acknowledged that there is. Um, it, the Pet Shop Boys version peaked one place higher on the Hot 100 than the Willie Nelson version. It peaked at number four. They originally recorded the song because in Britain they were asked to perform on an Elvis Presley tribute show, and they chose to cover Always On My Mind. Uh, Always On My Mind was a top ten hit in England, so from a chart perspective, it was actually a bigger hit over there than it was over here. Their rendition of Always On My Mind on that show was so popular that they then released it as a single, which then traveled over to America so that just a few years after Willie Nelson had had a hit with it on the charts, Pet Shop Boys did. And I'm going to save this until after we hear the clip. But to me, Sarah, this is a revelation of a cover that makes me realize that Willie Nelson's version wasn't the definitive version. I concur. Let's hear a clip. Oh my gosh, I'm not sure where to start, so I'm going to let you start. So, okay, um, Neil Tennant, who is the the singer in Pet Shop Boys, much like Willie Nelson, is not here for deep emotion. He's got a couple of notes, and he sings those notes, and he actually sings with a 
an almost studiously flat affect. And yet... Until the very end, which you can barely hear. Yes, but like the magic of the Pet Shop Boys is that he turns on those emotional qualities of his voice in select moments. You hear it in like every great Pet Shop Boys song. In It's a Sin, he only lets you hear the pain in his voice a little bit. Um, Weston Girls, he really never does, but that's the whole point of the song. It's like cold, anonymous fucking set to a beat. But... The, I think the genius of the Pet Shop Boys is that the music underneath has all of the emotion that they don't have in the, that's not there in the singing. And so it's this sort of counterbalance of you, you hear the voice of someone who maybe can't express himself, but the music I feel like represents his inner life. And you just get this surging cascade of feeling in the music. And I read – I don't have the musical knowledge to really be able to pinpoint how this happens or why, but I know because I read about it that they added some extra chords to the chorus of Always on My Mind. And I have to believe that that has something to do with why I feel like this is the most emotionally exciting version of the song. Because in the chorus, that very thing that you talked about where the emotion shifts, the music shifts too. And he goes up a little bit, he sings higher notes, and there's that all of that interplay between the 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 descending notes and the ascending notes and the, the extra sounds the like weird gunshot sound that comes in there or whatever. Like there's just this sort of emotional chaos that comes in the chorus that is so fucking apropos to what is happening in the structure of the song. And I find it just intoxicating to listen to. And just on a pure visceral level, it's really pretty and I really like it. So (laughs) I just really think that this is the best version of the song. I agree. Um, And there are a bunch of reasons that, like, I think central to it for me is that there is the, there's the two narrative tracks that we've been talking about. Um, And this comes the closest to marrying them because the rendition of it by Neil Tennant is, like, just more acid and brittle and because it's with this like triumphalist synth sound triumphalist is a perfect word for it it sort of puts um it puts into the same well no let's abandon that metaphor because it doesn't work but i think that in some aspects of queer culture and gay club culture there is this coexisting like triumphalist glittery, um, proud noisiness, Mm -hmm. um, coexisting with and often used as a carapace to protect profound heartbreak and alienation. And Mm -hmm. particularly at the time that this would have been recorded, I think that that was true. But I just imagine Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, with all that that implies, whenever I hear this, because there is that um, just gorgeous sadness that sublime like capital r romantic sublime sensation of feeling um seen but also rejected so um their ability to get all of that into this song which comes from this like very traditional american heartland place of heartbreak and redemption and on top of that, in the chorus, there is a there is a note of like, hey, you up, 
sweetness to the <laughs> tell me that your sweet love hasn't died that he's like look i know that we're broken up and everything but like we can just fuck once more right right <laughs> like right. he gets that into it too that there's just a um grimy fatalism to it but also it's really good for old lady walks the song and that's why i think this is the definitive version because neil tennant and the arranger have this like ear for the fact that this story even if the narrator doesn't know it a he's not the hero and b the story's over mm-hmm. and when you view that through the lens of of queer culture in the 80s um and the sort of current that you would be swimming against as an artist out or not at that time i mean they they really get a lot in there but it it doesn't wait it doesn't weigh too much at the same time that is the so. thing that is so amazing to me about this song or one of them is that it doesn't feel heavy how does it get all of this sadness into a song that is also so delightful and light? It's like alchemy. Yeah. It, is it, like- it acknowledges that like we like we people do shitty things and they have to live with it. And it you can you're still allowed to be sad even if you're the one who fucked up. Yes. <laughs> so, and yeah. I, I just feel like, you know, you hear you think about um you think about a dancey synthy version of a song like always on my mind. And you assume perhaps that it's going to lose the inherent emotion in the song and sacrifice that to the sound of the beat. But with Pet Shop Boys version of this song, the opposite happens. It's like the dance beat actually heightens the emotional on the emotional storytelling. Um, I just really love that you brought in multiple versions of this song because I think it's so interesting to be able to observe a song from three different vantage points like this. It, it, it tells you so much about what the song itself is. And, you know, we, we, we've been able to unpack what is hiding inside or hiding in plain sight in this very simple song. And it, it, it makes me really appreciate that a song doesn't have to be fancy or even that complex to contain multitudes. And I'm really glad that we had the opportunity to look at this song from so many perspectives. Well, as usual, it's sort of like I come up with some like gimmicky thing. I'm like, Oh, this will be fun. And then two hours later, I'm like scrolling through. I'm like, I need a new, you know, pad and like scrolling five pages of notes. But I always used to think to myself, like when I was in a workshop in university and someone would be like, well, I got this from it. Is that what you intended? And I'm like, well, now it is. Like, I kind yes. of feel like um, a work isn't completed until it's been received. Yes. And even if the that intent was not there. So uh, I think that these, like, viewing all of these and listening to all of these in a row made me appreciate all of them more. And also made me think about, like, well, why? Like, why? What? Where is this coming from and how did it get to me this way? So, yeah. yeah. Mm. I'll be loving you always. 
Mark and Sarah Talk About Songs is hosted by Mark Blankenship and Sarah D. Bunting and edited by Sarah D. Bunting. That's me. Need to talk to Mark and Sarah about song requests, ads, or birthday readings? Email us at talkaboutsongs at gmail.com, tweet us at talksongs, or find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash podcast. To become a supporter and producer of the podcast, visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash mastass. And as always, thank you for listening. Always, days may not be fair. Always. Mark and Sarah talk about songs. Talk about songs. Talk about songs. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.